Good to be with you guys today. Hey, listen, so, um, so yeah, so we just, it is Advent season. Anyone excited for Advent? Anyone excited about this season? I know some people get more excited um, than others. And so what we're about to do, we're about to turn to Advent, right? We are preparing our hearts as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so beginning today, we begin an Advent series where we'll look at, excuse me, three songs that you'll find in uh, the book of Luke chapters one and two. And so I get the pleasure of um, starting this series off uh, today. But listen, as we approach this season and as we're in it, I just, I understand that that um, uh, this season hits people uh, a different way. That There's a lot going on. People are, are decorating uh, their homes. People are going to Christmas parties. People are going shopping. There's just, there's just a lot of things that kind of go on in the season. And and then I also acknowledge the fact that we all sometimes experience this season um, even in a different way. I was talking to someone earlier, uh, just, just yesterday, he was just talking about the fact that, and he's a believer, but he doesn't celebrate Christmas because growing up, his mother could never afford to buy them gifts. And so in their household, they just never celebrated Christmas because his mom couldn't afford it, right? And so, so that was his experience. And so I just understand uh, that we all come and experience this season in a different way. But what we want to do in the midst of all that, in the midst of all the pressures and, and what's going on in society and how um, and they celebrate the season of Christmas, I just want us to be anchored. We want to be anchored in the celebration of who Jesus is. And so that's what we hope that um, today will bring as we look uh, in the book of Luke. Uh, it'll be uh, Mary will be our main character. Uh, but listen, real quick, I was talking to to Bria, we get together because we're friends. And uh, I, listen, we, we take this seriously when we have the opportunity to come before you um, and to preach and to share the word. So be praying for me because I told her, like, even in the difficult season, I have to prepare a message uh, in a way that if I was sitting in the seat that you're sitting in, that it would move me. So, so just understand that this isn't a thing of we just going through the motions here. I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. So I just want you to know that. Secondly, I also want to say that I don't know what's going to happen today. I mean, I have notes. I got notes. I'm prepared. Don't, don't get it twisted. I'm prepared, but I don't know what the Lord's going to do. He might, you know, it, it might not be much. I don't know, but I don't know what he's going to do. But either way it goes, I just wanted y'all to say, just get ready and uh, just pray for me. And so anyway, in the spirit of all those things, let me pray and we'll get started. Lord, we are grateful for this day and this opportunity to be here uh, and to hear from you. Lord, we're grateful for the season, grateful for the joy, the celebration, uh, man, that we get a chance to experience when it comes to the birth of your son. So, Lord, just be with us, Lord. Our hearts are expectant. We need you today. Um, and, Lord, would you just, uh, may I decrease, Lord, as you increase inside of me, Lord, as you have a word to share for your people. It's seeing us in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. So we'll be in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 46 through 55. Mary is our main character. Um, and then we're going to go uh, to the Old Testament. Uh, Old Testament prophet Hosea, if you want to bookmark that as well, Hosea will be in chapter 3. Um, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, um, verse 46. Before I really get going, let me give you some context, right? So listen, so you have the book of, the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. And so what happens then at that point is there's 400 years of, of silence. You have the Jewish people, though, that are accustomed. 
they are accustomed to, to hearing from the Lord, right, in, in one way or the other, whether directly like the way that, that God communicated with uh, Abraham, the way he communicated also um, with Moses, but then the Lord would also send prophets to then speak to the people. But for 400 years, um, there was no prophetic word. There was no, no prophets that were raised up. And so that's kind of what we are walking into when we, when we open up the book of Luke in chapter one and we see these events. And so when you understand that there hasn't been much that has happened, uh, man, what happens is even more shocking because we look at Mary and Mary is minding her business, doing her thing. And she is visited by the angel Gabriel. And, and the angel Gabriel tells Mary that, oh, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. And, and Mary's like, I don't know how this is going to be. I'm young. I mean, I'm, I'm engaged, but I'm also a virgin. How is this going to happen? And, and the angel says um, that, that God is going to be with her. And uh, it says that there's, his, his power is going to overshadow her. It, it, it's going to cover her like a cloud in the same way um, that it did Moses on Mount Sinai. In the same way as we look at the, uh, the other, in the Gospels of the Transfiguration, you see God's presence. It came forth um, in a cloud. And so, uh, but Mary, he gave, Mary, excuse me, gave the angel um, her yes. And then, but Mary needed some, some confirmation. This is some big news um, to kind of take in, right? Because the angel had told her that Elizabeth was also with child, even though she was up in years. And so Mary says, okay, I'm going to go visit Elizabeth. And so she goes and visits Elizabeth and immediately she receives confirmation Man, that what the angel said to her was in fact true because, because as soon as she enters, uh, uh, Elizabeth, being full of the Holy Spirit, says and acknowledges that the, Lord, the, the mother of her Lord has entered the room. And she says that the, the, the baby, the unborn baby, which we know that it would be John the Baptist, has leaped for joy inside of her. And so, so Mary receives confirmation about, about what the angel um, had said. And so... Uh, and I can only imagine that that Mary's head is swirling. But but let me just also acknowledge my limitations and my inadequacies in kind of telling you uh, or unpacking for you and illustrating what Mary must have been feeling. Because there are some things that I have not experienced in the way that Mary has experienced them. Number one, Mary is engaged. Okay. And I understand that for a woman to be engaged is a thing. Right. So I have a friend of mine who, who's in a serious relationship. She's not engaged yet, but we know what's going to happen. And so just in passing, in my ear hustling as I kind of walk through the house and my wife is having a conversation, I'm like, oh, she's going through some things that I didn't know women went through and consider when it comes to engagement. So I understand it's a thing. And I also know that pregnancy is a thing, right? We, 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 just a few months ago, my wife was pregnant and I didn't I go through it myself. I told you I was inadequate, but I witnessed that, the, oh, this is a, this is a thing. And so, but when you, I'm trying to not get myself in trouble on the stage this morning. But when you have the fact that you are with child from the Holy Spirit, on top of the fact that you're engaged and then you're about to get married, it's a, it's a whole other situation. Because how are you going to have this conversation with people about what's going on and the fact that you are pregnant, right? Is someone going to come up to Mary and say, girl, who your baby daddy? What's she going to say? The Holy Spirit, girl, his Shekinah glory came and just did a thing. Like, you can't say, ain't nobody going to understand what in the world Mary is going through, Right? 
But the reality is, man, this is something that is significant. It's going to turn her world upside down, right? This pregnancy is going to put her at risk, right? Joseph, she knows, like, once once he learns that she's pregnant, is going to consider a, a, a divorce. Her family would have been utterly ashamed. The community would have been scandalized, and there would have been rumors and gossip. Her reputation would be destroyed, and she is literally staring death in the face as a pregnant, unwed mother, and she could fall to execution by, by stoning. But then if we continue to read, and we look at Mary's response, in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, Mary says, uh, it says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. So despite all of that, what we find is that Mary, her response to this situation is one of praise. But, but, but how can that be the case? How, how is Mary's response that of one of praise? Well, listen, you, you have to understand that Mary knows the story of her people. Mary knows the fact that her people went into Egypt and then that God delivered them out of Egypt and then God brought them to the promised land. But God also didn't know that after the Lord brought them into the promised land, that they were also conquered, captured, and exiled. And then even now, even though they've been, uh, had the ability to come back to Jerusalem, they are experiencing the fact that they are now ruled by uh, Rome. So they are under Roman rule. So now they don't even have the freedom and their independence. But Mary would also know about these, these messianic prophecies, right, this prophecy that, that there would be one to come, a, a, a Messiah. Messiah just means a, a chosen one or anointed one. Uh, when, when translated into the Greek, it's Christos. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. She would know about these prophecies about a Messiah, someone that is going to come, that is going to be a, a, a deliverer and come to redeem Israel. And one of those prophecies would have been given by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years prior to the point that Mary is in at the time where Isaiah said, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. And so these prophecies predicted this coming Messiah that was going to redeem Israel. And you add to the fact that that they haven't necessarily heard as a people, they haven't heard the voice of the Lord in 400 years. So this is the context. And And then Mary is experiencing the fact that the angel says, that I am going, see, listen, if the Messiah was going to, if the prophecy, if, if the angel had just said the Messiah was going to come, even that in and of itself would have been amazing. But you got to understand, the angel told Mary, you're giving birth to the Messiah. You're talking centuries of waiting, centuries of longing for the people of Israel to experience the one that is going to come and deliver them. And Mary is going to give birth to the Messiah. 
Listen, I was minding my business on my Thanksgiving break. I'm just trying to chill out. I have family in the house. That means I can go watch a movie and do my thing, right? And so I just, you know, I turn on uh, this movie um, called The Butler, right? It has, it has Oprah. It has, uh, oh, what's his name? Force Whitaker. I don't know why I'm blanking that. So, so I'm watching the So you can leave that up. So I'm watching the butler. So, so real quick, and, and I'll just tell you, uh, I'll spoil it for you. I did cry at the end, okay? I did get emotional. Don't let anyone tell you that there's no emotional men around these days. I'm very in touch. Very in tune, okay? Don't let nobody tell you that's not a thing. It's a thing. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate that. So listen, so you have, his name is Cecil Gaines. Cecil Gaines, he grew up. His family, they were sharecroppers, and they were on a the plantation. They were picking cotton. And so Cecil Gaines, at a young age, he witnessed his father um, get killed, right, by one of the folks that owned the land. Like he, so even though slavery was over, you still had some of the conditions that still resembled the same thing that was going on even when slavery was, was legal in our country. And so he witnesses and watches his father get killed by um, a white man. And so after that, someone did have mercy on him and said, okay, you're going you're gonna to come and you're going to serve into the house. And so it's, it's in this, this serving when he's brought into the house, he's beginning to cultivate these skills that he would later use um, as a butler. So eventually he says, yo, I'm out of here. This is whack. I'm not here for this. And so, so he leaves the house. Eventually, there's a, I'm going to skip a whole lot, but I ain't got time. Eventually, Cecil, because of the reputation and how people has experienced him in other places, in hotels, Someone from the White House says, hey, you come be a butler in the White House. So Cecil, in the 50s, gets invited to be a butler in the White House during the, during the Eisenhower administration. And during that time, Cecil sees administration after administration come through. He sees presidents come, and he sees presidents go. And each time uh, there's someone new that comes into the administration, there is a sense of hope that this president, is going to be the one that makes things better for black people. With each time, that is his hope. And then eventually, when it came to Ronald Reagan, I'm, I'm trying to uh, realize how much I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say, because I have a lot to say about this movie. But eventually with Ronald Reagan, he says, you know what, I'm out. So he resigns, right? And then some time passes, and so um, his son ends up being a congressman. It's a whole long story. you got to watch the movie. Um, but listen, but then there is a point where um, man, he's witnessing Barack Obama get elected as president. And you see him there. He's been in the White House. He's seen administration after administration, and never did he think that he would see the day where a black man would be in the White House, and he's just overcome with emotion. And I can't imagine that, that what longing he had inside him that was satisfied in that moment. And this is just what one man experienced in one lifetime. We're talking about what the people of Israel were longing for for centuries. And you have Mary that is here now saying she's going to give birth to Messiah. So, but all the hardship that she would experience, right? All the things I just lifted off, which was a reality for her as a result of being pregnant, right? All now gets put into perspective when it comes to what she's now about to experience. And that's how she can then praise. And then the news of the Messiah's coming uh, resulted in praise. And anyone that was privy to that news, like anyone during this time that was privy to the fact that the, that the Messiah was coming, their response in every instance was, was praise and worship. 
So as we enter the Advent season, what I would say to you is that what our response should be as we celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate his birth, that our response should be the same as Mary's response. That our response should be a response of praise and worship. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to use Mary's song that we're going to read about. We're going to use Mary's song kind of as a model for us for our praise, right? Uh, the disciples went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then and what did Jesus tell them to do? He says, uh, pray like this, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, right? It wasn't meant necessarily to always pray that way word for word. He was modeling for them what it was like to pray. And so we're going to use Mary's song as a model for how we're going to pray. And so I'm going to uh, uh, submit to you a, a three-step praise process. Come on, literation. Three-step praise process, right, as we enter this season of Advent, okay? All right, so we're going we're gonna to get it going. Uh, we're going to look at more of Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 49. Okay, here's what it says. Mary says this. Um, and Mary said, again, my soul magnifies the Lord and my soul and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and his name uh, and holy is his name. And so, so Mary right here, this is, this is her personal testimony. She's a young teenage girl uh, that accepts God's calling on her life. And there was no fighting. There was no resisting. There was no arguing. She simply just said, yes, Lord, I am the Lord's servant. So what Mary did is he trusted the Lord with her life, uh, and she trusts God with her future. So Mary, in this instance, she has a, a posture of humility. But this is something that during this time was not common because, you know, in the first century, they, it would have been uh, a strength and wealth and ability is what were to be demonstrated. Uh, and so to be humble was unheard of. But, but nonetheless, Mary said, hey, I'm going to take a posture of humility. And by her taking this posture of humility, it creates space for her to then magnify the, the name of the Lord. It, 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 prays, it creates space for, for her to exalt him, right? And acknowledge the fact that it is he that has done great things for me, right? So, so step one in this whole uh, uh, pro, uh, praise process that I would submit to you today is this question, what has God done for you? What has God done for you? And so really, believe it or not, I really think that this is maybe a tougher question for us to ask than we would think. Why? Because I believe God has been too good to us. I believe God has been so good to you that you take a lot of things for granted, right? So I'm going to start number one with salvation. The fact that the Lord has saved you from your sins. The fact that the Lord has delivered you from the things that you used to do that you no longer do anymore. The Lord has transformed you, he shaped you, and he molded you, and he didn't keep you in the space that you were. Imagine what your life would look like if the Lord never saved you. Imagine what, the Lord, what, what your life would like if the Lord said, no, I'm going to just let you do what you want to do. Right? But no, he saved us, and, and now we have salvation. And so, But let me say this, if you're in the room and you have not experienced the Lord's salvation, let me tell you that the Lord has a life for you that's greater than a life that you can give for yourself. Maybe you're like me in the room. And so for me, what I realize is like, oh, oh, I'm the God of my own life. Oh, man, I am messing this up. So I said, Lord, please take my life. 
Maybe you're someone that's here and you're weighed down by the burden of, of all the weight of the world that's on your shoulders and you're trying to carry a weight that you were never meant to carry and the Lord has freedom to offer you today. So I don't know where, whichever place you are, whether the Lord has saved you and you need to remember and understand what the Lord saved you from or today accept the invitation that the Lord has a life for you that's beyond what you can imagine and it's beyond what you can give to yourself, a life of fullness and wholeness and restoration and a life of freedom. And that invitation stands today. So your salvation, we take it for granted. But then also sometimes we have a complaining spirit about the things that we experience, right? So for example, right, things may be, may be tough on our job. People might be getting on our nerves. People might be slandering our name. It's hard to get upper mobility, right? And so sometimes we complain and it's, we fail to see the goodness of the Lord even in our job. But the reality is, had the Lord not given us a job in the first place, we wouldn't have nothing to complain about. And then we'll be complaining to the Lord, Lord, I need a job. Come on, somebody. And then how about how much heartache is caused by the fact that our, our kids uh, and all that they do and how hard parenting is. And we complain about our kids and who they are and, and their behavior. But the reality is if, if the Lord didn't have to give you those kids, if the Lord didn't give you those kids, you would have had nothing to complain about. And then you'll be complaining to, to, to God about the fact that he hadn't given you no kids. Come on, man. This is what we do. So we take things for granted. I also think about the fact that this, we don't remember what it took for us to get to where we are today, right? So, for example, I'm going to just tell my story because my father said that, hey, I'm going to leave Muskogee, Oklahoma, and you don't even know what that is because it's in the country. My daddy said, no, I'm broke. I don't want to be broke. I want to leave and come to Chicago, ironically, and go make some money to send back to my family. Had my father not done that, I wouldn't be here. I'd be country as a mug in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Right? And it, it, listen, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. We need to think about the fact that, man, the Lord has, tech, has brought us to this place, and it has not been by Actually, I think about the fact that my uncle was, uh, is in ministry. Uh, he, he planted a church, and he was a pastor. Actually, we didn't call it planting a church in my context. He was a pastor and a founder, which meant he could just do what he wanted to do with his church. You weren't going to tell him how to run his church. But I saw that, and that planted a seed in me for ministry. Had I not seen that, who knows where I would be. Also, the fact that we are a church that strives to be multi-ethnic and egalitarian. There is a day, not too far ago, that that would have been preposterous, a preposterous uh, uh, endeavor for us to be a multi-ethnic, egalitarian church. The fact that we would be a congregation with all different ethnicities and backgrounds worshiping the Lord, right? That was not a thing. Women, egalitarian, there is no hierarchy, right? There is no hierarchy as relates to men and women in ministry. So glad for Bria and her presence here, right? But women, y'all couldn't even vote not too long ago. You didn't even have the right to vote. Right? So understand, there were some things that have happened and taken place, and we cannot take these things for granted. And we have to attach the fact that these things have happened, we have to attach them to the Lord. It is the Lord that has made these things happen in our life, right? So listen, number one, has the Lord done anything for you? And that's the first step in the process. So I ask you, is there anybody in the room that the Lord has done something for them today? All right. I'm just trying to see who I got today. Because I got to keep going. Okay, next. Listen, we're going to go to verse 50. Here's what verse 50 says, chapter 1. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I'm going to come back to verse 50 in a little bit. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So what we see here, what, what, what Mary is pointing out in her song is that God's power in reversing certain social conditions. So like in the, in the ancient world, right, it was, it was expected that the rich would be well cared for. It would be expected that, that those that are poor um, would be the ones that would be hungry. And then I would say that if you're born, if you were born during this time and you were born within a certain level in society, there was not necessarily a lot of upward mobility, right? There wasn't necessarily an opportunity to, 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 to come up in the world. And so for you, if you were born at this level, you had to kind of um, just, just resolve in yourself that, yo, like, yo, this is what my life is. This is who I am in society. But what we see today is that uh, we see today that, that uh, the Lord um, turns the attitudes and orders society in an upside down fashion, right? So what we experience as far as man's, man's agenda and how man operates is not necessarily what we're bound to as children of God. So I'm going to call that God's favor, okay? So number two in the praise process, right? How have you experienced God's favor? What is it that you have experienced that you know you did not deserve, but you experienced it anyway? That's God's favor. What are the opportunities that you know you were not qualified for, but you got those opportunities anyway? That's God's favor. At some point in your career, someone took a chance and gave you an opportunity that you didn't deserve. You weren't qualified for. It may have been a long time ago, but it maybe sets you on a different path. That's God's favor. You know that there was something that you did that was wrong and that was of a great offense to someone that you know and you care about and that was important in your life, and yet they forgave you. That is God's favor. You know you were not qualified for that loan. You know you should not have gotten that house, but yet you got it anyway. That is God's favor. So you can literally walk into any situation in the name of Jesus, right, which means that in alignment with his will, don't go walk into some crazy situations and say, my pastor Leonard told me I got the favor of the Lord. Listen, in the name of Jesus is what I'm saying. Within his will. And you can, be, you can be confident to know that God can bless, elevate, and bring justice to any person he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants, regardless of what man says and how man operates and what society's norms are. That's God's favor. Is there anyone in the house today that has experienced the favor of the Lord? I'm just, I'm just I'm trying to see who's with me today. I'm going to keep moving. Here we go. So we're going to keep going. So let, let's go to verse 54. Let's go to verse 54 in, in Mary's song. Mary says this. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So here's what, what Mary's doing here. And she, and she also did it in verse 50 as well. Mary is referring to God's covenant relationship with his people, right? She's talking, so she mentioned Abraham and the father. She's, she's talking about this covenant that was first made um, with Abraham. And so in, in uh, where's it at? In verse 54 and also in verse 50, you see the word mercy, okay? So, um, so that, word, um, that word is ilios, but ilios is the word that was used to translate the Hebrew word hesed. 
Now, if you've been here, I've talked about his said before. It's one, of my, it's one of my favorite words because it talks about and describes God's love for us within this covenant relationship. And so it's a rich word because there is no one, uh, there's no one English word that kind of wraps up all that has said is trying to to uh, communicate. As a matter of fact, we even have to combine English words, right, in order to try to communicate what it means. So like uh, loving kindness, steadfast love, unswerving loyalty, things like that, right? So, but to get a better understanding of, of, of God's love and his has said for us, and we're going we're gonna to go to the prophet uh, Hosea. We're going to go to the prophet Hosea, right? So Hosea, in the Old Testament, uh, we're going to look at chapter 3, but, but here, here's, here's what's going on in Hosea. I love this. I've been itching for an opportunity to talk about this, just so you know. Here's what's going on in Hosea. Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Hosea. The Lord is going to um, give Hosea an uh, uh, in-depth and intimate experience of what it's like for him as he is in covenant relationship with the people of Israel. And, and, he, and he uses marriage to do so, right? So, so covenants were, were commonplace um, in ancient times, in the first, uh, well, no, in ancient, way before the first century, but covenants were something that, that was how different groups of people, um, how they, they would combine because one group may be strong in one area and, and another group may be strong in another area and they'll combine and be strong together, right? They would literally lose their individual identities and come together as one people. It was, it was a way society functioned um, in ancient times. And so now the, the, the way that we see covenant now is in the way of covenant marriage. When we, when we get married to one another, it, it's, it's a shadow of, of what it is a, a, our relationship with God is like. And so he uses marriage. And so here's, a whole, here's what the Lord tells Hosea. The Lord says, Hosea, hey, Hosea, take this out. Um, I need you. I need you to go and marry a woman of the night. That's a prostitute if you don't know what I'm referring to. He says, I need you to go and I need you to go marry a prostitute because I need you to understand what it's like for me to deal with the people of Israel. He was saying the people of Israel are like prostitutes. He said, you go, you go, find a, you go marry a prostitute. And so he, see, I, he went to go marry Gomer. He said, okay, you marry Gomer, y'all go have kids. So Hosea, being the good prophet that he is, he was obedient. He married Gomer. They had kids together. And then what we find in, uh, uh, in chapter 3 of Hosea is that things have not exactly gone the way they should go, right? And here's what the Lord he says. And the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man. So it looks like Gomer has gone back to her old ways. Right. Whether that's since she's in, uh, uh, whether that she's just cheating with him with another man or she's gone back to prostitution. It's unclear, but she's gone back to what she did before. Right. And then and then listen to what the Lord listen to what we're going with uh, what Hosea does next. Um, and even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of rain. So I bought her. So Hosea bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lech of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days, and you shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. 
So Hosea, Hosea says, I got to go get my wife. And I'm not just going to get my wife. I'm going to go pay for my wife. I'm going to go pay for something that's already mine. And I'm going to bring it back. So he says, you're going to stop this. You're going you're to be with me, and I'm going to be with you. So the reality is what God is saying, that, that the people of Israel, uh, uh, um, they, they cheat on God with other saviors and with, with other gods and with other, with other idols. And what God is saying that despite that, I have continued to be faithful to my covenant. But in the natural, what God is saying is how hard would it be for you, number one, to marry a prostitute in the first place? And then number two is when that prostitute goes back to their old ways for you to go pursue them anyway. And then for you to pay money for what's already yours. God is saying that's what it's like for me to deal with the people of Israel. But even though she violated the covenant, Hosea said, no, I'm not going to violate the covenant and I'm going to go get my wife. And I'm going to be, uh, uh, and I'm going to be so generous in the fact that I'm either going to pay for her and get back what's already mine. And that characterizes the steadfast, said love that God has for each of us. That despite the fact that we, 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 on a regular basis, turn our backs on the Lord and go to other gods and other things instead of Him, He continues to pursue us and He continues to to chase us, and He's been doing it for millennia. And so it brings new context for me in Romans 8, where Romans 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is God's said love. This is God's faithfulness to you. So has there been a situation where you thought you, there was no hope? Where you thought you weren't going to make it and the Lord worked it out anyway? That's the Lord's faithfulness. Has the Lord promised something to you and he kept his promise? That's the Lord's faithfulness. Have you ever been keenly aware of your rebellion against God and he came through for you anyway? That's the Lord's faithfulness. Have you had moments where you felt like the Lord was silent and maybe distant, but as you look back over your life, you would say that, that uh, well, you may think he failed you, but really is he's been there the entire time. That is the Lord's faithfulness. This is God's faithfulness. And listen, the reason we acknowledge God's faithfulness is because this, it helps put our present circumstance in context. Because if God was faithful then, we understand that God is going to be faithful in the future. So regardless of whatever circumstance I'm experiencing, I can still have a praise on my mouth and on my lips because I know that God is faithful and what he did in the past, he will continue to do in the future. So regardless of what you're experiencing, and I know even some of the people in their stories in the room of some of the challenges that, that you're experiencing. I heard a story just this morning of what someone was going through, right? But the reality is we can stand and, and, and acknowledge the fact that what God is going to do in the future and bring us to a place of flourishing because of his faithfulness. So the last thing I have for you is this. Let me ask you this question. What is your song? Mary had a song. And Mary offered her song as a result of what she experienced. She was faced with danger, hardship, but despite that, she still had a praise for the Lord. And so I would ask you, what is your song? And so listen, um, every, every day, every time we come to worship on Sundays, right, uh, there's, it, this is inevitable. 
it's inevitable that, that, um, that Andrea, uh, my wife, will, will, will say something uh, about, like, hey, let, let worship fill the room. She, she did it today. She had no idea I was going to say this. Let worship fill the room. She says, uh, uh, let, let worship in your own way. But, but if we're honest with ourselves, I see a lot of people that are uncomfortable and don't know what to do. Let's be honest. Y'all don't know what to do. Um, uh, the best thing most of y'all got is y'all, y'all just know how to clap, uh, and that's about it, right? But listen, I'm just being honest. But what I'm saying to you is when she says that, when she says worship in your own way, that's where you put your song. Because listen, when you look at Mary's song, right, we don't know if it was spontaneous. We don't know if Mary's song um, was a, 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 as a result of reflection. But what you see in Mary is that it, it's, it's what she expressed had the Old Testament references all through her song. That means that that word had to already be inside of her. That word had to already be in her heart. She already had to be in a position of knowing the Lord. So that when something happened, that it was just an overflow of what was already there. So listen, check this out. So, so every time uh, I, I get on stage, right, uh, you, you guys are here. So I get on stage. Uh, you guys are the audience. And then, and then if I'm on stage, that means there's some aspect of, of me leading you in, in, this, in this worship experience. And so, so I just want you to know that anytime I'm on the stage, like I, it's never flipping. It's never, it's never off the top of, well, something's off the top of my head. But, but for the most part, I prepare before I come before you. Because I'm like, oh, man, what do they need to hear? What, how do I need to lead? What do I need to say? And throughout my week, I'm thinking about this, and I'm meditating about this, right? But, here, but here's the reality. The reality is this. When you come here, you are not the audience. Because when you come here, there is only an audience of one. It is the king of kings. It is the Lord of lords. And the reality is this. Had the Lord not been here, had he not intervened on your behalf, you would be nothing. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't even be here. Right? Because of his wrath, because of your sin, it wouldn't even be a thing. This is why David said this. He says, hey, uh, in Psalms 100, David says this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. The Jer- listen, y'all go, listen, Jerusalem had a wall. Jerusalem had a wall to protect it. It had different gates. And so people would come to Jerusalem for different festivals and Passover and things of that nature. And what David said is, when you come into these gates, you better be thankful. He said, he said, enter to his gates with thanksgiving. It says his courts with praise. The courts being the temple. It says, give thanks to him. It says, bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Listen, I don't know about you, but listen, all I wanted, all I wanted was power, money, sex. And the Lord said, listen, that's going to lead you to destruction. He said, I'm going to snatch you up out of that. And I'm going to stop you because I got a purpose for you. Because I got a future for you. And I'm going to pause you for a second. I got to develop you. I got to refine you. I got to mold you. And I got to shape you for what I have for you in the future. And then the reality is this. Then he said, okay. He said this. Because I was damaged goods. I was damaged goods, right? No one would have wanted me. 
And he said, I'm going to bless you with a wife. I'm going to bless you with a wife that's going to love you, that's going to care for you despite your, your past, despite your shortcomings. And she said, I want, I want, I agree to enter a relationship with you. And she can cook and she can make a home. And she, listen to me. This is my praise. She can cook, she can make a home, right? And then we got two beautiful kids. One of them we didn't, we almost didn't get. Born at one pound, four ounces. We're in the hospital. Uh, 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 the baby flatlines and the, the doctors entered the room and we couldn't go in there. And then here she is today down there and kids having a good time, right? This is what the Lord has done for me. The Lord said, listen, I'm going to give you a career because you, you're hopeless. You're a college dropout. You have no future. You have nothing going on. He said, I'm going to give you a career in teaching that you don't deserve. As a matter of fact, I'm going to continue to work in you and allow you to do vocational ministry that you don't deserve. Right? And he gave me a purpose. He said, man, hey, I made you for something, and this is what I'm going to lead you into. So listen, so when we come into this place, and I can keep going, but this is my praise. We come into this place, I think about what the Lord has done for me. I think about his favor. I didn't deserve none of that, but he did it anyway. And I think about his faithfulness to me over and over and over and over again. And I look back on my life, and he's been there the entire time. So what I'm saying to you is this is my story, but what's your story? We're entering the Advent season and we're celebrating the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that has changed all of eternity. He's changed everything. And you may not realize it or not, but he has. And he deserves your praise. So when we come in here, I'm going to ask you, what is your song? Because there's an audience of one. Did you come in here prepared to worship the audience of one? Did you come prepared? Because he is watching and he is deserving of all of our praise. So this Advent season, this Advent season, my hope for you, my prayer for you, is that what you can engage in is prayer and praise and worship. I don't know what that looks like for you. But I suggest you find some time to figure it out. It could be the fact that instead of playing Christmas music, which we love so much, you could declare, hey, in this house, we're going to play praise and worship music. Is it going to be you doing the devotional? I don't know. Is it going to be you reflecting back what the Lord has done for you and writing it down and reading it every morning? I don't know. Is it going to be you sitting with your kids and say, hey, let me tell you the story of how I got here. Let me tell you the story of how I got here so that you can know what to be thankful for because if I didn't get here, you wouldn't be here. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm just saying that as a result of what Jesus did and the fact that we are celebrating his birth, he deserves our praise and our worship. So we're going to do communion right now. Can somebody give me, oh, I don't want to be the pastor. Somebody give me a communion, I don't give my communion. Thanks, Doc, I appreciate it. So you have to, listen, <clears throat> since I've turned 40, I've been reflecting a lot in general. So you have to excuse my excitement. But listen, I just need you to know this is not a game for me. I just need you to know that when I'm in a season and I'm struggling and it's hard, and I say to myself one day, he will wipe away every tear. 
there will be no pain. And he'll put my, my present suffering is nothing compared to the future glory. So if you're looking at me wondering why this black man is screaming on stage, I'm just trying to tell you, this is not a game for me. I watch people that are apart from the Lord. I watch people that are so self-absorbed in their own lives. I say, man, the Lord has so much more for you. And so the reason I scream, I'm sorry if that offends you or makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. But the reason I do that is because my words can't adequately express what I'm trying to get you to understand. And this praise I'm talking about, it doesn't matter your personality. It doesn't matter your preference. But even if it did, is the Lord not worth you being uncomfortable? And so this is so serious for me. And I take my job and being a pastor at this church very seriously. And I just need you to understand the significance of what I'm trying to say. Because as we take this communion, as we think about its significance, the Lord sat with his disciples in the room. And he knew what was about to happen. And he knew that what he was about to do was a result of God's faithfulness. Because he knew that when he told Abraham centuries before, the fact that that your descendants will number the stars, Jesus knew he was a part of that promise. And so what Jesus was preparing to do was he was preparing to die. He was preparing to exercise the Lord's faithfulness for his people. He was preparing to honor his covenant relationship with us. He was preparing to make a way that we could have unfettered access to the Lord uh, God, our Father. And that is the significance of what he came to do. And so as, as we take communion today, as you reflect today, would you reflect on the Lord's faithfulness in the fact that millennia ago, the Lord uh, was resolved and resolute in his love for you and that he set a chain of events in motion so that he could be with you. Real quick, we talk about the fact that uh, what the Lord did on the cross in the fact is that he, sa- he saved us from our sins, which is true, right? But, but real quick, to me, this, this is Leonard Davis talking, that, that's, a, that's a fearful perspective because, because just to talk about the fact that he saved us from our sins sometimes just means that he, I just had the opportunity to avoid his wrath. I just want you to know he saved you from your sins so that he could be in relationship with you. This is all about relationship. He wants to show you the love that he has as a father. And that love is experienced within the context of a relationship. And what Jesus did for us made that relationship possible. So whenever you think about what the Lord did for us on the cross and the forgiveness of sins, also think about the fact that it's because we can have a relationship with God and that we can experience his love. So on that day, Jesus was with his disciples as they were celebrating the Passover celebration. He said, this is my body. This bread represents my body that was broken for you. Take and eat it.
he says, this represents my blood that was shed for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink it. So as we wrap up here, I just want to give us an opportunity to respond in the way that Mary did to what the Lord has done for us. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord's faithfulness in your life. So Angel's going to come. She's going to sing a song. And so this is your opportunity to worship once again. Maybe the Lord has already spoken to you about your song. Maybe you're already singing that song in your heart right now. I want to engage you and invite you, excuse me, to enter again in response to what the Lord has done in act of worship.